We've been in a series on passing the test of life, and we're looking at the book of Daniel. It has nine key tests that you have to go through in life, and it shows you how to come out ahead. It tells you what to do to pass the test. And most of these tests are about Daniel or his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But today, it's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that gets tested. He's a man, as you know, from studying before. On two occasions, he proclaimed God as the true God and recognized him and put his faith in him. But he falls back into his old ways. He's like a baby believer. You know, you believe it, but you still don't change. Uh, Maybe he had the desire to, but he's a very prideful, arrogant guy, and it causes him, ultimately it causes him a lot of problems. So today we're going to talk about how to pass the test of success, because it's his success that holds him back. It's his success that makes him arrogant. It's his success that gives him this ego and makes him prideful and really messes up his life. Look at Luke 16, 10 through 12. You must be proven trustworthy in small things before you'll be trusted with greater things. And if you have not been faithful with what is not your own, who will trust you to give you your own? God tests you by how you handle the small things in life. If you handle those things well, he can give you more. If you handle that well, he can give you more. One of the things uh, that we want to be tested in, that you desire, I hope, to be tested in, is success that you can be tested in a small way first so you learn how to handle it before the next step and before the next step. Because it's usually when you get too much success too soon, that's when it ruins you because you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know what to do. So we're going to look at God testing us with success. And have you seen success ruin people? Have you seen people actually, you know, get on the wrong path or they get stuck up or it affects their character, they start doing things that they would have never done before. You know, things that before they even thought was immoral, but when success came, they were able to use their money in, in the wrong way to lead them down the wrong direction. I've seen successful people that you would think have everything that they'd want, and then they turn to drugs. You know, like people in the spotlight. And you think, like, most people would dream to have what he or she was given, through that success, and this person becomes a drug addict. And you think, like, what happened? How, how does it turn that way? You'll find that success ruins people way more than suffering. Because what happens when you suffer? When you're suffering, you're saying, God, help me. You actually put your attention on God. But when you're successful, you usually don't put your attention on God. Because it's in pain that we tend to look at God. In Proverbs 27, 21, it says, A hot furnace tests silver and gold, but people are tested by the praise they receive. When you're complimented, it's a test. Does it go to your head? Does it make you egotistical? Does it make you a prideful person? There's nothing wrong with people complimenting you, but some people, it makes them prideful. They get arrogant because of the praises of men. And that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. If you look at his life, one of the reasons he was so arrogant is it seemed like he wasn't ever losing. As a young man, his dad was the king, so he has all the privileges of being born the son of a king. Then he becomes the general of his dad's army, 
even though he's just in his early 20s. Someone in their early 20s is not ready to be the general. He's just not ready. He's not mature enough for it. But you know what? He's very successful. It was actually amazing. He defeated the Assyrian Empire, which at that time was the most powerful empire in the world. And he came home a conquering hero. And then, after doing this, and he's, he's conquered Assyria, when he becomes king himself, he goes out to conquer other lands and has victory after victory after victory. The guy doesn't know how to lose. It's an amazing story if you read about him in history. And he builds the city of Babylon into a beautiful city. It was so nice that people would like to travel everywhere just to see it. He's the one that built, what's it called, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he built it for his wife. And it's such a beautiful place. There again, it's one of those places that people travel just to see. It was the highlight of civilization at that time. So the guy was unbelievable. He had to be gifted. He had to be talented, no doubt about it. And he was very arrogant, very prideful, believed in himself. So chapter 4 starts in Daniel, and now he's in his later 50s. And one night, he has a disturbing dream. It's not the same dream that we talked about a few chapters back. It's a different dream. And he's troubled by it. He dreams of this giant tree getting chopped down. There's a, lot of, there's a lot to it, but I don't want to go into all of it. But the main thing is, he has this dream, and Daniel comes to interpret it, just like before. And what happens is he says, I hate to tell you what this dream means. That tree being chopped down is you. You're going to lose your kingdom, but not just your kingdom. You're going to lose your mind. You're going you're to go insane. You're actually going to be like a homeless person that no one's going to care about, foaming at the mouth, being crazy, slobbering on yourself. You know, your fingernails are going to grow out. Your hair is going to be matted. It's bad. It's really bad what's going to happen to you. And then he says, but... God's given you this dream to give you a chance to repent and change. In other words, it's a warning. It's not a fact. It's a warning. God's saying, I'm warning you. Get your act together. Don't be so prideful. Don't be so arrogant. But your time's up. If you don't do something about this, it will happen. What does the king do? He hears it. He commends Daniel. He even promotes Daniel that for telling him the truth, and then he continues on like always. He's been warned. Who in their right mind is going to get a warning like that and not make some sort of changes in their life? So I don't know if it meant that he didn't believe it, but I think he's so prideful and arrogant, I think he thinks, I can win this battle too. I've won that battle. i won that battle. I'm not going to lose my mind. I can win this battle. I'm bigger than this, because that's what arrogance does. It makes you put confidence, too much confidence in yourself. We're going to look at three questions. One is going to be, what gets people into trouble when they start succeeding? Why is it when I have success, it can bring trouble on me instead of it just being good? The second thing we're going to look at is the steps to recovery. Like, how do I recover from the fall if, in fact, I have that fall because of the success and the troubles. And number three, 
What are the things I need to remember about God that's going to stabilize me if I go through something like this? So in your notes, what gets us into trouble? Number one, we get comfortable and complacent with success. Once you get comfortable and complacent, it can mess you up. Look at Daniel 4.4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was enjoying a time of peace and prosperity in my kingdom and palace. I was taking it easy without a care in the world. Does that sound like someone that's on their knees before God praying every day? No, it's not. It's not like someone that's relaxing, having a good time. Life is great. There's no, no worries. Let me tell you this. If you're experiencing success, that's when you need to be praying the most. That's when you need to be praying the most. Uh, you've got a much bigger responsibility when you have success. If you're not having any success in life, how much responsibility do you think you have? Probably not too much. The more success you have, the more responsibility you have. Do you think the president has more responsibility than I do? I would say yes. He's responsible for our whole country. He better be praying, praying, praying every day. He's got way more on him than I have on me. This is a king. He's got way more on him than we've got on us. And he's just taking it easy without a care in the world. Man, he needs to be praying. When you have success, pray more. Don't pray less. Don't get comfortable and think, oh, life is good. I don't need to pray anymore. I just prayed when I had a bad time. God answered the prayer. Things are good. All right. No need for you anymore, God. Thanks a lot. I'm on my way now. No, that's when you pray more. Daniel 4.30 says, he said to himself, I said to myself, just look at this great city of Babylon that I have created. I, it's all about I and my and my and I, I by my own mighty power have built this beautiful city for my glory. I built it to show my power, my might, my majesty, my glory. Pride's the root of all sin. You know, pride is taking all the credit and not realizing that every success you had was never done alone. There's nobody successful on their own. There's always other people that have helped them. You've had coaches along the way, teachers along the way, parents along the way. A lot of our success in this country has to do with the fact that we were lucky enough to be born in this country. And that's enough to say, well, God, thank you, because if I was born in a country like North Korea, could I have success? Probably not. Probably not. You know, there's a lot of limitations on you in other countries. A lot of our success has to do with our freedom. We've got more opportunity, and we should be thanking God for that freedom, especially when you think of days like Memorial Day, you know, this weekend. Man, I thank God that we have freedom here. So success is something that we don't earn completely on our own. We have other people helping us, and you have God helping you. God just allows certain things to happen. There's God in the picture. But pridefulness means, first of all, I'm not thinking about God for my success. But pridefulness also means I do things my way regardless of what God says. Well, I know God says not to gossip, but I do it anyway. That's pridefulness, right? Because I'm saying what God says doesn't matter. I'm more important than what I feel. I know what God says about sex, but I'm going to do it my way. I know what God says about money, but I'm going to do it my way. Anytime you're doing that, that's a sign of pride. Because what I'm really trying to say is I believe in me and my opinion more than what I believe in God. 
and his opinion. The Bible said pride goes before destruction, and that's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. In Proverbs 16.5, it says, The Lord despises pride. You can be sure that the proud will be punished. That's a scary verse. God does punish people sometimes. I don't want to be on the opposite side of where God is. If you're on the opposite team of God, that means you're on the prideful team. I wouldn't be on the humble team. I'd be over there with him. Pride does bring destruction in your life because you start thinking you're great, you don't listen to other people, and you'll make big mistakes. Number two, we don't pay attention to the warning signs. When things are going good, a lot of times we don't pay attention to the warning signs. It's like the success blinds us. And there's warning signs saying, you're getting in trouble over here. Don't go down that road. But the success blinds you and you think you're bigger than life. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar thought. God clearly warned him. The warning signs were there. He had Daniel even telling him, and he still didn't humble himself. What are warning signs? Conflict? What if you're having so much success in your business, let's say, but you have a lot of conflict at home with your spouse, and it's over, you're working so many hours, we don't have time together. That's a warning sign that maybe you're working so much, but if your marriage gets damaged, that's going to be worse. Or you're working so much that you don't really invest in your kids, and then you see your kids going down the wrong track. And maybe you have to think, maybe it's better to make less money and spend more time with my son than to make more money and let things continue down this road. The warning sign's there. And in your head, I need to spend more time with it, but you keep working. I need to spend more time, and you keep working. The warning signs are there. But like Nebuchadnezzar, we just ignore it. And we wait till the person leaves us or something's, or they go to prison. And then it's like, we waited too long. You know, you wanted to get in there before the kid got into that much trouble. You wanted to get in there before the wife leaves or the husband leaves, right? But we're just like Nebuchadnezzar. We see the warning signs and we say, okay, I know I need to deal with that. So I'll deal with it later. Chaos in your life might be one of the warning signs. Why do I have so much chaos in my life? There's some sort of imbalance in your life that needs to be taken care of. Okay, I'll I'll take care of that later. Take care of that later. Later might be too late. Confusion. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Temptation. That's a warning sign. If I'm in a job that I'm bombarded with these temptations and all the time in my mind, I'm really tempted. There's temptations around some people but it's not a temptation to you. There are some people that are never tempted by drugs. They might be tempted by women, but not by drugs. You know what I mean? And they know these guys and all these people at work. I can't believe that they all smoke pot, but it's not even a temptation to you. And in that environment, it, just knowing that that's your friends and all that type of stuff, I just don't go with them. I just don't. It's never tempted. You would never be drawn into that. But that same guy could be in a situation where there's a female at work with them, and it's a big temptation for them. We all have different temptations. We all have some things that we would be tempted to give into, and we have other things that we never would. If you're in a job, it might be a great thing, but if it's putting you in an environment of temptation, that's a warning sign that maybe you shouldn't be there. Maybe the money's not worth what's about to happen. You know, maybe this is going to devastate you. So temptation can be a warning sign that, hey, make a change, humble yourself, get on the right track. Don't go in that direction. The king needed two things to do. Here's what Daniel said. 
He told him what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to you. He says, but here's what you should do. Repent of your sins and start doing what is right. Then begin to show merciful kindness to the poor and oppressed. Then perhaps God will allow you to keep prospering. He's saying, you had this dream. You're going down. But if you'll repent and start helping the poor, he's really saying, I kind of think God's going to see that and you're going to be okay. Just repent. What does repent mean? It means to change my mind from my way to what God says in his way. That's what repent means. It's a changing of the mind. It's like I'm walking this direction and now I've decided to go back the other direction. But you're doing that with your mind. I'm living for me what I think is best. Then I say, no, 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 no. What does God say is best? That's what it means to repent. We focus on the word repentance as changing lifestyle. It doesn't really mean that. I can change lifestyle because of pressure on me. I can be a kid that conforms because dad and mom will give me a swap my behind if I don't. But it doesn't mean I have a change of mind. It just means I'm obedient, but once I go to college and they're not in the picture anymore, now I live for me. So obedience is not a sign of repentance. Repentance isn't when you conform because you think you're going to get in trouble. Repentance is when you have a changed mind. That in my mind, I was headed that way, but in my mind, now I'm going for God. So it, it has very little to do with the outward actions. It's the mind, but the outward actions will follow that. If I believe that, I'm going to go that way. And it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility to repent, to change your mind. Because there's things that we hold on dear to for emotional reasons that the Bible says are wrong. Abortion. Do you know the Bible says? Can't do that. But there's some people right now, just hear me say that. It makes you feel like, ah, it's hard to humble yourself and say, something I believe for emotional reasons so long, the Bible says it's wrong, and you want to believe what you believe. Because we always want to believe what I feel over what the Bible says. Gay marriage is wrong. It's wrong. You read the Bible, it's flat out wrong. But we say, well, I want to defend that because there's something in me that says it should be okay. But it's really, the Bible says it's wrong. There's things like that, and it's hard, it's humbling. How about... If you've believed something religiously all your life, and the Bible says, no, it's not that way. Because there's things that people believe religiously all their life. Like, for example, there is no purgatory in the Bible. That's a religious belief that people have. But it's not in the Bible anywhere. And if you believe that all your life, and then someone's saying, no, that's wrong, the Bible says differently. You're mostly because you're attached to what you've been taught by your parents and this type of stuff. And there's a resistance that comes up and it's hard to humble yourself and say, wait a minute. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's hard for me to admit that I'm the one that's wrong and the Bible's right. And we're all like that. To me, the issues are more like this. If you say, Jimmy, what in the Bible do you have a hard time with? And you say, because of my own pride. I'll tell you the number one thing. Turn the other cheek. I hate that verse. You know what I mean? You know what I want to do? I want to duck and uppercut. I don't want to turn the other cheek. That's the last thing in the world I want to do. You see what I'm saying? Everything in me, like, oh, no. But I know that the Bible says that. I know it's right. I just don't like it. And I know I have to conform 
because I have to change my mind, and I've chosen, okay, God, I know you're right. I know this is how I need to treat people, but everything in me doesn't want to go that direction. You know, I don't want to get hit and just turn the other cheek. I want to fight back. So there's things in the Bible that go against everything we hold on to for emotional reasons. You know why I have that? Because I can remember I was the littlest kid when I was in elementary school, and I got picked on all the time. I did. So there's an emotional reason. And then when I went to junior high, I started wrestling, and I started getting experience and good. And then by the time I was in high school, I could beat up all the kids that used to pick on me. Because I, I became a trained fighter. If you're practicing wrestling every day, you're a trained fighter after a couple of years. And I could beat up all... And then my pride came in, and now I can pick on you, and I can be mean to the kids that used to be mean to me. And then, because that emotional hurt from being picked on as a little kid, all of that affects me. And then I become a Christian and turn the other cheek. And I think, no, this is my chance to get revenge. I don't want to turn the other cheek. We emotionally hang on to things that we, we know the Bible says it's wrong, but we want to fight for our own emotional feelings or you know, things that we've believed in that really aren't what God says. We all struggle with it. We just struggle with different ones. Humility is to say, okay, God, even though I don't feel like it, I know you're right. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to turn the other cheek. And then you obey and you do it because you know God's right. Pride is to say, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it my way. His pride was over his ego, arrogance, those type of things. He wanted the credit for everything he had done, and he ignored God and others and all the support he had. It was all about me and my, and look at me. I'm so brilliant. I'm such an awesome guy. You're lucky to meet me. You're lucky to know who I am. And humility wasn't anywhere to be seen in his life. And Daniel is saying, you need to repent. You need to humble yourself. You need to change that. And the other thing he says is serve the poor. Why would he say serve the poor? Well, first of all, because Nebuchadnezzar is so rich. The more money you have, the more you need to get around people that don't have. And you need to find ways to reach out to them because it keeps you humble. It lets you realize, like, wow, there's some people out here hurting. So I'm not living in my little bubble. And... This is why I like mission trips, because even in America, sometimes we feel like, well, I am poor, but we're not really poor compared to places I've been to. Do you know that over half the people in the whole world, you know how we have change laying around, like I have change in my pocket or in a dish at home? That's a sign that you're wealthier than half the people in the world, because half of the people in the world would never have even change at the end of the day. They're surviving so if you, if you have chains laying around, you're already in the top half. Do you know if you have food in, the, in your refrigerator, you're in the top half? Just the fact that you have extra food laying around. They don't have extra food laying around. That's 50% of the people. Okay, 50% of the people are that poor. If you live in America, you're in the top 10% of the world, just living in this country. See, even the poor in America, you know why? We have a safety net. There's a lot of things that you have here that they don't have in those other countries. We have a safety net built in. We, we have a government that does things for the poor and that helps, and we have churches that do things for the poor. But there, you don't have all that. The government is corrupt or broken or broke financially. The churches are just struggling. So if just living in America, you're in the top 
of the world. But if you live in Southern California, you're in the top 10% of America. All you have to do is go to Mississippi, and you're going to say, wow, we have it better here. Life is easier. We have a much better life here in Southern California than what we imagine. But we're in this bubble, and we forget how rich we are. We forget how poor the world is. But when you're helping the poor, it keeps your mind in the right situation. You recognize the needs of others. It keeps your heart sensitive. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar had a sensitive heart for the poor? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you think he was a, the main person in that country that could have made their life better? Of course. He was the king. The guy that you would hope would have the most sensitivity for the poor was the guy that probably had the least. He probably didn't care at all. Proverbs 14, 21. If you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. It is a sin to despise anyone. So if you see someone poor, don't so despise them. Be kind to them. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever mistreats the poor insults our maker. If I mistreat somebody that's poor, maybe take advantage of them because they're poor, I know they're desperate, so I'll pay them less money. You see what I'm saying? That's mistreating the poor. Don't because pay them the same that you'd pay somebody else. All the more so because they're poor. They need it that much more. You insult your maker. You insult God when you mistreat the poor. Proverbs 21, 13, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. God is saying, if you ignore the poor when they need help, God's going to ignore you. Do you believe that God has favorites in the Bible? Does God have favorites or does he treat everybody the same? Well, I'm going to surprise you. God has favorites. And if you read the Bible, his favorites aren't the Christians. His favorites are the poor. Because over and over he, t- he says things about this. You can tell when you read the Bible that he's, he has favorites. He's constantly saying, how you treat the poor is how you're treating me. He didn't say how you treat other Christians is how you're treating me. It's the, the poor. He has favorites. God has a favoritism to the poor, and that means if I'm going to be godly, I guess I better have a favoritism toward the poor. I need to make sure that they're not suffering, that we can do everything we can to help especially if it's a real need. In Proverbs 29, 14, leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless poor are treated fairly. You want to be a good leader? Be a voice for the poor. You know, be an influence for people that don't have any sort of political power. If you have some influence, you be an influence for them, for the needy, for those that need help. That's what it means to be godly, to be a man or woman of God. God didn't give us success so that we would be prideful. He gave us success so that we could benefit others, our family too, and others. Proverbs 31, 8, 9, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Isn't that a great verse? That's Christianity, helping those in need. So this is what he warns Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's a warning to us all, but he's warning Nebuchadnezzar, especially because he's even in a greater position to do something. Number three, we put up doing what we know is right. Nebuchadnezzar knows that this is right. He's the one that had the dream. He believed in Daniel's interpretation enough that he blessed Daniel. So what's he doing? He procrastinates. In Daniel 4.28, it starts by saying, 12 months later... Twelve months later, wait a minute. You heard 
about this, and it's 12 months later and you haven't changed? 12 months later, all of what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed did actually happen to him. He was taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. 12 months later. 12 months. Not like a month later. God gave him 12 months to, to do it, and he still didn't do anything. As he looked out across the city, he boasted to himself. As the words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what God decrees for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your power is being taken away, and you are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You'll be deposed from the palace, ostracized by everyone, and forced to live with wild animals. Immediately, it all happened, and he lost it all. God warned him, and God was patient. Okay, it's been a whole month. He still doesn't do anything. Two months, three months, four. Then God said, okay, enough's enough. You've had a whole year to humble yourself, to do the things I want, and you're just not going to do it. You've made your choice, and I've made mine. And he lost it all. He actually went insane. And it's all in history records, not just in the Bible. And he was living in the streets. He just became a madman, a madman. And then God had mercy on him because after, it said a period of seven, and I think that means a period of seven years. But after this uh, seven-year period, here's what happens. Steps to recovery. Number one is look up to God. This is God's grace because I'm going to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar deserved to stay like that forever. He deserved it. You're getting what you deserve, Nebuchadnezzar. But that's not how God thinks. God says, you know what? Now that you've been humbled, you wouldn't humble yourself, so I humbled you. Because what's going to be more humiliating for a guy like that than be drooling and can't put his words together? It sounds like maybe he had a, a stroke or something. But at that time, I don't think they could describe what that meant. But he's a homeless guy, just out of his mind. You know, what happened there? So God in his mercy, here's what happens. Number one, look up to God. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. How do you get recovery when you've fallen? Maybe you've fallen in a different way than him. Well, how do you get there? You first look up to God. Maybe, maybe you've fallen and you're in some sort of mess and you're looking for other people to help you. You're looking for the government to help you. You're looking for a man or a woman to help you. First look to God. I think sometimes God allows us to be laid out flat on our back so we finally look up. Okay, I guess I'm looking up. Maybe I should talk to God. And don't wait till you're in that situation. When you notice that your life has fallen a bit, Look to God immediately. That's step one. Number two, wake up to God's greatness and start worshiping. What worship means is focus on God. When we sing at church, we call that worship. We even call this a worship experience because you're focusing on God. But you worship at church, but you also worship at home. You can worship in your car. It's any time that you're focusing on God. There's three really good ways to worship. Corporate worship, and that's all in the Bible, Small group worship where you're with a few friends and you can connect, discuss things, but you're all focusing on God together in some sort of small group. And personal, like when I'm reading my Bible and praying on my own. Personal, small group, and large group. Those are great ways to worship. The Bible talks about all three of those. And when we're doing these things, we're putting our focus on God where we need. Instead of my focus being on my problems or, in his case, on how great he was, he started putting his focus on God. Here's what he says. My sanity returned. This is 
434. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the most high and honored the one who lives forever. He turned back to God like he did earlier a couple of times but never stuck with it. This time he actually sticks with it for, for the long term. And he honors God. I don't know what bad things you're going through, but I know this. If you replace pride with praise, you're going to get healthier. I guarantee you, you'll get healthier. Here's what God said to the Israelites. See if this describes your life. Because you can see like, wow, I can see these things happening in certain ways. Remember how God led you through the wilderness these past 40 years? He humbled you by letting you go hungry. He tested you with hardships many times to test your character and to see if you will obey whatever he commands you to do. You remember how we talk about God's way more concerned about your character than your comfort. Because, you know, you can be comfortable and have a horrible character, but if he gets you in some difficult situations, you rely on God and it gets your character in track. Now God is bringing you into a good land, a land with plenty of water, with bountiful crops, orchards full of fruit, abundant copper and iron in the ground, and you will lack nothing so when you are full and satisfied and prospering, praise the Lord with gratitude for all he has given you. You think, oh, of course. Of course we're going to praise God. Look at what he's given us. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord and that you continue to always obey every command of God. Otherwise, when you have built your fine houses and your gold and silver have multiplied, your heart will become proud and you will forget that it was God who saved and delivered you out of slavery and gave all this to you. And when you become successful, do not think, I did all this by my own strength and I became rich by my own power. Instead, remember that it is God, your, your Lord, who gives you the ability and strength to produce wealth. I warn you, if you ever forget God and begin turning things into idols that you worship, God will destroy it all and your nation just as he has destroyed other nations before you who forgot God. So I'm warning you. So they went into the land. They praised God for all this. Then they increased their wealth. And they started thinking, look at how good I am. And now they're slaves in Babylon. <laughs> they're slaves in Babylon. It's exactly what happened. He said, you know, remember me. Don't get prideful and think it's you. Remember me. And you're going to just prosper. But as you're prospering, then you start taking the credit. I'm going to treat you like I treat the other countries. And now they're slaves in Babylon. It's exactly what he warned them not to do. I'm telling you, we do the same thing. It happens all the time. People get success and they get prideful. They start thinking it's all about them and how good they are. And it's not. It's opportunities that you have that God blessed you with that you should be praising God and you should be thanking people that helped you along the way. It's impossible to have that success if it wasn't for certain people helping you. You should go to them and say, I'm so grateful. My success is due to what you've done. One thing that I do with the coaching of the wrestling team is the PE teachers allow me to teach wrestling for one week in their PE classes. And I use it to recruit kids onto the wrestling team. And I always, every year that we win CIF or take second, we've, we've won it twice and took second once in the last three years. And every time I send them a big email letter thanking them. I say, you're the reason why Maricosta has a championship wrestling team. Because without you, it wouldn't happen. 
And it's not that I don't think that I coach them and do that. But the truth is, if they didn't let me in the room to recruit kids, I'd have, what, you know, 10 kids on the team. I don't know what I'd have. We'd be lousy because you have to have people there. You can't win without people being there. So the, the true credit does go to them. But the idea that I'm saying is I'm sure that there's coaches out there that do the same thing, and they think that they're hot. And they don't realize, no, it's an opportunity. Without them giving me that opportunity, it'd be nothing. I, I couldn't win matches without them allowing me in that class. To, there's a lot of people that help you along the way. You'd be grateful for those people. You'd be grateful for God. You'd be grateful for them. The last thing a person can do if they're really opening their eyes and seeing what's happening is being arrogant, prideful, egotistical. It's just not there. You're going to be proud or you're going to praise God. You're not going to do both. Your greatest test in life isn't when you lose your job. We think it is. Like, oh, how am I going to get through this? You know what your greatest test in life is? When you get a job, that new job. Here's what happens. Oh, God, I need a job. And you're praying and you're seeking God with all your heart. And then you finally get the job and it's thank you, God. And then no need to pray every day to him anymore. I got the job. That's your test. The greatest test is in the success. You know, we start forgetting God. Getting that pay raise is a test. Now that I have this pay raise, am I going to thank God and have an attitude of gratitude? Or am I going to say, oh, wow, life is easy now, and I forget about God. I don't pray about it anymore because now my bills are paid. I finally have enough money to pay the bills I couldn't before, so the prayer stops. You should be praying more during that time. Because you know that he's blessed you. Nebuchadnezzar, in this recovery, he learned four things about God. In your notes, God's kingdom will outlast everything I do. My career will end. Sometimes somebody else is going to have that job. No one's going to be king forever, you know, that type of thing for Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he said in Daniel 4, 34. See, God's rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. My kingdom's going to end. It's his kingdom that's eternal. I should be focusing there on something that's going to last because this is going to die out. And, of course, it died out. God's approval matters more than all the others. Here's what he said. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. His mindset was this. Why is he prideful? Because he, wants to, he, he likes the idea of all the people thinking he's great instead of liking the idea of God thinking he's great. And that's the dilemma. If you want everybody to think you're great, you're going to try to appease that audience. If you want God to think you're great, you're going to try to appease that audience. But there's no way that you can do both. Because there's no way that you can really please God and please people. Because sometimes God's going to have you do something or say something that people aren't going to like. But, you know, you have to make decisions that's right, no matter what people think. God's power is absolute. He said this, he has the power to do whatever he pleases among the angels of heaven and with those who live on earth. He knows. It's just, just what happened to him. No one can stop him or challenge him or even question what he does. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. <laughs> Obviously, he's saying that because, believe me, he's able to humble them. You should have seen me, you know, with my hair all matted on the streets, out of my mind. He's able to humble you. And next, God never makes any mistakes. If you look at Daniel 4.36, when God restored my sanity, he also gave me back my honor and kingdom. All my leaders returned to me, and my kingdom became greater than ever. 
The kingdom actually took off after this point. So now I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is always right and true and fair. He learned, like, what was I wasting my time? I was so prideful and arrogant. And then when I finally got humble and I realized it's God, I said, okay, I'm praising God. I didn't end up losing things. My kingdom got greater. It's kind of weird. Like, when I was doing it all for me, it wasn't as good. But now that I'm just praising God and seeing him do it, things got even better. God wants to do more for you than what you have the ability to do for yourself. But sometimes our own pride won't allow him to. Why? Because he doesn't want to ruin you. You know, you can't handle the success. You'll make the wrong choices. It's not that God doesn't want to give you success. You're not prepared for it. When you humble yourself, you'll be prepared for it. And number three in your notes, speak up to how God has saved and changed me. Tell other people about it. At the beginning of this chapter, he's writing about what already happened. He actually writes this that he's telling us after he got restored. And here's how it starts off, and here's the amazing thing. Remember King, King Nebuchadnezzar, prideful, arrogant? Here's how he writes it. King Nebuchadnezzar sent a letter to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. May you prosper. I want to tell you all about the wonderful miracles that God has done for me. He went through this. God restored him. And he writes a letter to every nation, every language out there. He says, I want to tell you about the miracle that God's done for me. What is he now? He's not only a believer in the God, he's now telling other people about God. That's what God wants to do in your life. You know, people are drawn to Christ through us, through people like us, like through you and I telling people. They're not going to know if we don't say something, but they have to hear it from us. And what, what's sad sometimes is the people that are most vocal about the Lord sometimes are odd. Sometimes they're odd. So what happens is we shut up because we don't want to be identified with them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want them to think I'm one of them. You know what God wants you to do? Here's what the world needs. They need to see normal people like you and I that love God and aren't ashamed of it. We love God. We're not ashamed of it. They don't need me to preach at them. They don't need me to be weird. They don't need me to hold a Bible up in the corner and preach and with a megaphone. And That's not what they need. But what they do need is at the workplace, the guy sitting next to them, they find out through friendship that he goes to church. I'm a, he's a believer in Jesus, and he seems normal. He's not an oddball. Every time I see people on TV that are Christians in a sitcom, there's some sort of weirdo, but this guy's not weird, and he works hard, and he's nice to me, and he even took me out to lunch. And you know what I'm saying? That's what the world needs. Not people bombarding them, but just normal people that really love God really love them, and aren't ashamed to say it. As long as you keep it your own little secret, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you, and it's certainly not healthy for them because people don't know unless somebody tells them. Everybody in here, somebody told us. Somebody cared enough to tell us, whether it was a parent bringing us to church or whatever, but somebody cared enough. When there's people out there, you be that somebody that cares enough to tell them. You just have to tell them, but you just have to be a normal person. Just a normal person that loves God. They respect that. People respect you if you love God and if you love them. You're not going to chase them away. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to meet him someday in heaven. Is that amazing? 
this guy that, you know, this, this great king that was so messed up and prideful and arrogant, and now he becomes a witness for God. You're going to meet him someday in heaven. It's going to be an exciting thing. But I'm glad that even from this pagan king, we can see through his conversion experience over the, the chapters, we can see God's at work. God cares about people. We can learn from it, and we can be better people. I believe God wants to give you success. I don't think it's just for him. I think God wants to give you success. And God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go through what he went through for your sake as well. It wasn't just for his sake. It's for us as well. So we learn. Wow, I can have success. I can handle it right. God, I'm going to keep you number one. Let's pray. Lord, we want success. We desire to have success. Lord, we're asking you to guide us. We're making a decision to praise you, to worship you, to recognize it's really all about you and it's not about me. We don't want pride in our life. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be egotistical. So, Lord, we're trusting you to help us live the type of life that we need to honor you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.